You don't have to adjust your glasses. A younger, shorter, balder version of Pastor Bill is up here. Thank you guys so much for being here. It is a special day. Hey, how many of you guys love your church? Does anybody love your church? I mean, if you're in Rockport, Fulton right now, first of all, we're a little jealous because y'all got a beautiful building over there and a beautiful pastor. Pastor Nick, you're a beautiful person no matter what anybody says. It is a special day. If you're online right now in your living room and your kids are terrorizing the house, I want you to scream out, I love my church. In fact, can we do that right now? Scream on three, I love my church. One, two, three. I feel it. I feel the energy. We got some people back today. It's great to see you. I got some Stone Oak friends here today. My name is Nate Dooley. I'm the Stone Oak campus pastor. Some of y'all know me because I was the previous student pastor. Joey Willer took my place. Did an amazing job. But I still oversee our student and college ministries through our next-gen ministry. So let me just say this. If you're in here or you're watching on screen or you're in one of our campuses, if you have a middle school or high school or college student, get them involved in these ministries. Because I can honestly look back when I was in middle school and high school and in college at my church, I was involved in those ministries, people spoke life into me and it changed my life. And I'll even say these words, if it wasn't for the youth ministry that I was in in my small podunk Baptist church in Lexington, Kentucky, that I would not be on this stage right now. And I'm grateful for that man. His name was Bill Burkett, I'll never forget. He said, son, you're gonna be a pastor one day. And I was like, is he talking to somebody behind me? Because I'm not, I'm not gonna be a pastor. So thankful for those student ministries. Let's give it up for our student workers real quick, our student pastors. Incredible people. How many of y'all love your pastor, Pastor Bill? Yes. Hey, here's one of the many reasons why I love Pastor Bill. Right now or this weekend, he had a funeral that he had to be at in Dallas, Texas. A close friend of his daughter passed away, and it was a rough moment. And he said, you know what? I'm going to love the church. I'm going to love the hundreds, thousands, and millions but I'm gonna love the one as well. And that's what our pastor does. He loves each and every one of us individually. And he loves us as a church. He loves the cities that every one of our campuses represent. And he loves the Lord Jesus with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he's a great friend and he's a great leader. And I love my pastor and I know you do as well. Let's give him a hand one more time. Him and Miss Jessica are incredible people and I'm grateful for both of them. Well, thank you guys so much for being here and welcome on our campuses, Padre Island, Rodfield, uh, Rockport, Fulton. We just welcome you in. Stone Oak, my people, I love you guys. I miss y'all. I'll be back next week. Our God behind bars, men and women. That's right. Tune in, guys. Listen, pay attention right now because in this moment, I believe and I've been praying that God's got a word just for you. And if you're sitting in your living room or in your car or at work right now watching on your phone, I really believe that God's got something right here in this moment for you. So no matter what's going on, pay attention, tune in, don't miss it. And in fact, let's pray for you right now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for what you're going to do in this place, in that place, in every single room where someone is watching. Lord, I pray for that single mom that's watching this service that's going through a tough time. I pray for the single dad that's just having a hard time from the divorce. I pray for the married couple right now that is struggling and they don't know if they're going to make it through tomorrow. I pray that you give them hope in this message from your word. Lord, I pray for every single one of us sitting in every single one of these rooms. Help us to tune in and learn what our next step in our faith is because you've got something for us in this message. We just have to listen and lean in. Help us to listen to you, Lord, and not me. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. So today, the sermon title is this, Purpose in Trials and Pain. Purpose in trials and in pain. Listen, I've got some tough things that I've been through. In, in fact, I'm gonna share one of them. It's one of the hardest things to share. I've never shared it really in a, near a crowd this size. My, my kids don't know the whole story. 
never told them fully before. So it's a very vulnerable moment for me to share it. But if I went around the room and kind of told some of y'all told the stories, it'd be like, wow, gosh, that's rough. Like, I don't, I don't know how God could be a part of it, but maybe he does got a purpose in it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In fact, let me tell you a little bit of my personal story, a trial that I believe God put me through to bring me where I am today. And I couldn't say that in the moment, but I really believe it now. In fact, I got a text at about 8.03 a.m. to be exact. I'm sitting at Waffle House, and uh, I'm sitting across the table from my friend. His name's John, and, and we're just sitting there talking. I get a text, and it's from my boss's boss. And he says, meet me in my office at 11. I'm like, oh, uh, and so he's talking to me. He's actually trying to encourage him, kind of counsel him through some stuff. And I'm tuned out. And I'm like, this just got real. I don't know what got real. But so I went into work and just kind of sit in my office, act like I'm doing something because I'm on somewhere else. And so I walk into the office and I walk in and across the table is my boss on the right and then his boss on the left. And I sit down and I'm like, this is, this is the meeting that you never want to walk in that I've never had to walk into. And I sit there and I'm just kind of like, hey, guys. And they're like, well, let's start out with prayer. And I'm like, that's never a good place to start. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and I'm just going to listen. They said, hey, hey, Nate, you've done a good job here. You've helped our company. But your time here is done. In fact, today's going to be your last day. And I'm like, what? And in fact, seriously, this is no joke. I blacked out. I didn't pass out, but I blacked out. And all I could see were two tiny little holes that I could see through my eye. And I see two men standing there. And I, I thought I was dreaming. I literally thought I was dreaming. And I went, oh, this is the clarification that I'm getting from the Lord that I've been praying about where I need to move on to my next season in life, whatever that may be. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. And then my eyes began to fully open. I bet I looked like a ghost, but I was white in the face. And I sat there and I was like, oh, I'm getting fired. This is real. And they said, hey, we've had meetings. There's no meetings. In fact, the only thing I remember in that moment was 19 days earlier, my boss's boss said to me, hey, Nate, stick around here. We like you. And I sat there and I look at these two men, one I was in a life group with that I was friends with, and with at church and one I was just good friends with. And it was just, it was, it was the hardest season I've ever been through in my life. And I've been through some stuff. And so I walked out of the office and I'm like, what am, what am I supposed to do now? Do I, do I go home to my wife and say, hey babe, I got fired, what's for dinner? Do I tell my kids, hey kids, I know you love it here, but we're gonna move. What, what do you do in that situation? Because all I'm thinking is, do, am I going to be able to get a job? Am I ever going to rise up to the level of leadership that I was in, in business and life and maybe potentially ministry or something? I mean, what, what's next? What do I do? In fact, I remember waking up the next morning and I, I just remember I felt like I had zero purpose. And I woke up and I remember, I, I think kids are running around trying to get ready for school and I'm, I'm not even ready for the day. I like to get up early and I'm not up early. I think I'm wearing my pajamas. And I'm just kind of sitting there in a zone, kind of like, Ghost it out, and then, and then I remember thinking, you know what? It's, it, I, I tried to think about this in the moment, but it was hard. But this is something I think we all need to hear right now. It's, it's not what I do that defines me. It's who I am. That's not the message for today, but I think I need to say that. It's not what I do that defines me. It's not what you do that defines you. It's who you are, and more importantly, whose you are. Because when you know Christ and you have a relationship with him and you're living with him, then you will get through it, whatever it is because trial, work, pain, challenges, you will get through them. <clears throat> so the next morning, kids go off to school and I just sit down at our table, I got a round table and I'm sitting there and it's, it's got, I remember vividly because it's like to picture it, it's got little chips on it because it's an older table and I'm sitting there and I'm reading God's word. I got this real small little red and back Bible that I used to put in my pocket. I'm sitting there reading that and I'm like, I want to sympathize with someone that has been through something worse than me 
Because this is not the hardest thing in the world that I've been through. It stinks and life's not fair and I don't really like it. And this is a good, pleasing and perfect will that God has, but I don't feel like it's good, pleasing or perfect. So let's just try to sympathize with someone else. So I start reading the story of Joseph. If you've never read the story of Joseph, I encourage you to read it. Genesis 37 through 50. We're gonna glaze over the story, kind of get to the end of the story and talk about it. But basically what happened is he had a dream. He said, hey brothers, you're gonna bow down to me. They're like, no, we're not. We're gonna throw you in a pit and sell you as a slave. You think you have family problems. Like, oh, my sister called me overweight. Well, my brother threw me in a pit and throw me through for, sold me for a few shekels. Like that's family problems. And so he's going off in a slave. He gets accused of rape. He gets trusted and then untrusted and all this stuff. And he's in prison. And then he gets elevated to lead an entire country of Egypt. And so his brothers come to him and they said, they didn't realize it's him. And he realizes it, but they don't realize it. And then I, I remember a passage, Genesis 50 verse 20. And everybody knows this verse very well. I've preached it several times. I knew this was coming. And God's kind of speaking it to me, and I'm like, okay, I don't really care about that. I've preached it. I know it. I've got the bumper sticker for it, you know, my minivan, whatever. But it says this, and you all heard this before. He said this to his brothers. You know, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. Yeah, 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 I know that. And I knew that was coming, but I just wasn't interested in that at the moment. But then what I read before I read that was just life-altering for me, and it broke me in the moment. Genesis 45, verse 8, it says this. So then, this is what he said to his brothers. It was not you who sent me here. He's talking to his brothers. It's not you that sent me here. You threw me in the pit, all that kind of stuff, slavery, accused of rape, all this stuff. It was not you that sent me here, but God. And so I read that verse and I started weeping. And, and, and I realized something that's hard to realize in the middle of a trial. Because I was bitter, I was frustrated, I was mad, I was angry, I was sad. I was every emotion that you could feel in the midst of it. I was sick. I mean, it was rough. But then I read that passage and it's almost like the Lord just said, I know what I'm doing. Trust me, I got this. This is the valley. You're hanging out in the valley and you're gonna be here for a minute, but just trust me, I know what I'm doing. In, in that passage, it basically says this. It says, you didn't do this to me, but God did this to me. And it's almost like the Lord was saying to me in that moment. And I was sitting there, it's almost like those two men that you're like mad at and all that, and you, first of all, you need to get over. Those two men that you're mad at, they didn't do this to you. I did this to you. And I was sitting there and it was like, no, no, no. There's no way that this is a part of your plan, a part of your will. I don't like it. And it didn't make sense. And I didn't understand the ways of God. But then over time and over days and over week and over months, I didn't understand his plan. I didn't understand why that was happening. But I began to trust his heart. Because when you can trust the Lord's heart, you can trust him. Because it doesn't make sense what you went through, whether it's the divorce, whether it's the cancer, whether it's the miscarriage whether it's the broken relationship, the end of a business that you thought would be your life because of COVID, whether somebody died because of COVID, whether you're sitting in your living room and you're just thinking about that situation that is driving you crazy or that person that's driving you crazy, whatever it may be, that family member, maybe your mom or dad, maybe something that happened when you were a kid, whatever it is, whatever you've gone through, I promise you, I don't understand the ways of God, but I do trust his heart. And so one might ask like, well, why? Why do you trust him? Because I mean, that was a, that was a brutal firing. And I think back to 2015, 2013 to be exact, I got a phone call. Essentially, my dad had died. He was owning a business, incredible leader, patient, godly man, loved the church. I, I wouldn't be in my faith if it wasn't for him. Well, he, about a year and a half, he never walked, talked, or communicated ever again. It was miserable. He went from being owning a business, and a successful businessman, to basically mentally handicapped for the rest of his life. In 2015, he died. That's not fair. Like, why? That doesn't make sense. 
So why do you trust God? You might ask yourself, you might ask me, well, you wanna know why I trust God? Because I stand here right now on my own two feet. I have hands that I can use. I had gas money to get here that, that, and, and that wasn't even a struggle. I've got amazing kids that are incredible kids that love Jesus most of the time, if you know what I'm saying. Like, no kids are perfect. If your kids are perfect, you got problems, if you know what I mean. Like, <clears throat> I got an amazing wife, a beautiful wife that I look at every day and I'm like, Lord, this is a miracle because she's beautiful and she thinks I'm sexy. Like, I mean, I'm telling you, like, God's all up in this business. And so I stand here today saying, that's why I trust God. Because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me trusting God. Because he's the reason we're here. You walked in the store, at least most of you. I didn't see everybody. You have breath to breathe, even though sometimes you got those masks and you can't breathe very well. I get it. I understand. You have a lot to be grateful for. And you can say the words, which I try to say often. You can say these words. God is faithful. God is faithful. And he will get me through this. That's one thing that I promise you, and you've got to say those words over and over and over again. So the first bit of encouragement about trials is this. When you don't feel God's hand in your life, trust his heart. When you don't feel God's hand in, in your life, trust his heart. So when I was walking out of that office, I was kind of like moping, like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I'm going to tell my family, this is so sad. I'm not going to get another job. I was making decent money, and I was saying all those things, and I feel like this, and I felt like this, and they didn't say this. And there was a lot of I feel, I feel, I feel conversation. Do you know what happens when you do that? You begin to trust the enemy. Because guess who leads your feelings? The enemy. When you trust your feelings 100% of the time, they're gonna lead you astray most of the time, maybe not 100% of the time. But when you trust God, he will never lead you astray. But the feelings that we have are going to lead us astray no matter what. That's why it's so important not to trust the feelings that we have, but trust the God that we have. And so that day after I walked to the office, I called a buddy. Isn't that funny how we do that? We don't call on a God that can heal us or strengthen us or give us a little bit of an explanation of why it happened. We call a buddy. I don't know why. Maybe it's just me that, did that does that. It's because he went through a similar situation in another business. And I called him and I said, hey, man, I got fired today. And he said, hey, it's okay. And I was like, no, it, it really stinks. He said, no, it's going to be all right. And so he starts talking to me and he said this. And I don't remember everything he said, but he said this. He said, he said Nate, listen don't miss what God has for you in the valley. And I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on, I gotta, I gotta process that. Don't miss what God has for me in the valley. Okay, okay. And then listen to the end of that statement. Don't miss what God has for you in the valley, but don't camp out there. Because a lot of us, like, we're up here and we're, we're doing well and we're killing it in business and life and family and ministry or whatever you're doing, and then you fall or maybe God causes the fall. In my situation, that was it. I'm not saying yours, that's the case. It was it for me. I fell, and then I'm sitting in the valley, and what do I see in the valley? I see dry bones. I see people that I shouldn't be associating with. Yes, that's judgmental and a horrible thought, but maybe I'm the only one that thought it. I'm like, man, I, I should probably be above them, and that's a horrible statement, but I'm just being truthful with you right now. And, and then I see other people struggling, and then I look up, and I'm like, man, I gotta climb back up there, but you know what's back there? Your past. God doesn't want you back there. He wants you up here because up here, your peak may be way higher than back there. And that was my case. I had to get through that and understand that. And so here's the thing. God doesn't, if you're in the valley, God doesn't see you in the valley. He sees you out of the valley on the other side, just like he saw Joseph. 
When Joseph was in prison, sweeping the floors and cleaning up and asking the warden, hey, anything I can do for you? He didn't see him as a prisoner. He didn't see him as a rapist. He saw him as a king of a country, which exactly was Joseph's future. And I don't want to know what your future looks like. But start to trust God for your future, not your past. Don't look around you, look up to him. And before you know it, you'll be in your future exactly where he wants you. Don't miss what God has for you in the valley, but don't camp out there because we get very distracted with what's in the valley. So we've got to get to the point where we say, Lord, I trust you. You are in control. So what am I going through? Why am I going through this valley, you might ask? So you got the encouragement, like trust his heart. Yeah, God's got a plan, all that kind of stuff. Don't camp out in the valley. I get that. But why do we go through trials? Like, why does God bring us through pain? It just doesn't make sense. Let me give you a little bit of encouragement from God's word. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. Let me kind of go back over that, verse four. Who comforts us in all our troubles, so that, say so that. Okay. Say so that. so that. Whatever you've gone through, you went through it so that you could encourage somebody else through it make it easy? No. I'm telling you right now, I was preparing for this message, thinking about telling the story of being fired, and I started crying myself. Once you have that wound, does it go away? No, I'll tell you what, the wound is healed, but there's still a scar, and it's still hard at times, but guess what? I've got through it, and I'm able to encourage others through it, because I went through it so that I can encourage others. Let me give you a couple of the so that's for me. For me. I had a lot of friends that have gone through the same thing, probably about 10 since that day happened, many years ago. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it's, pretty, it's quite a few when somebody calls you and says, hey, I've been fired. And they trust you with that information. I'm the first one they call, I'm the buddy. And I'm like, I, this is terrible. I realized this the last service, how terrible this is. But when somebody calls me to say that, I get so excited. Is that wrong that I get excited when my friend gets fired? Uh, because I know what's on the other side. And so I'm like, hey, man, listen, don't miss what God has in the valley, but don't camp out there. God's got you. He's doing. He's like, hey, man, I just want to whimper and mourn for a second. Can you just listen? And I'm like, no, I got so much I got to share. And I get excited because I know so that I can encourage you, so that I can encourage you, so that I can, I mean, I can think of all those conversations that I've had right now. I'd love to say their names and where they are right now, but I would never do that to anybody. But listen, I went through that so that I can encourage those around me, and I've encouraged so many many people around me. We experience trials so that we can encourage those that go through the same trial after us. God uses your pain to encourage someone else through their pain. God uses your hurt to heal someone else that went through the same hurt. Maybe you've been through a miscarriage. Several friends that have been through it. I can't imagine. Here's what I can promise you. You're going to be able to connect with somebody else that has been through a miscarriage much more than I could. Maybe your parents were divorced. You know, my wife can connect with someone whose parents were divorced at an older age than I ever could. My parents never divorced. My dad passed away before they did. Maybe, maybe you lost a parent. You know what? I can connect with you through that because I lost a parent. It was unfair. It stunk. I didn't like it. But right now, I'm like, I trust you, God. Maybe you lost a business during COVID or you lost a business at another time. You've had a failed job opportunity or whatever it may be or you're not quite where you think you should be. Guess what? You can encourage others through it, but you can get through it at the same time. Or maybe it's depression. You can encourage someone through it. Or, or maybe this is it. You can be honest also saying, I'm still fighting. I'm still struggling, but I'm not surrendering to that struggle. Because fighting and struggling is okay. If I'm going to be honest with you, I'm still fighting and struggling with the things that I've had happen in my past. But I'm not surrendering to them. I'm surrendering to one thing, and that's to Jesus Christ. 
But when you surrender to your God and not your struggle, that's when you can be victorious. God comforts you through your trials so that you can encourage someone else going through the same things. You know, there's been some funny trials in our life that we can laugh at, past tense or future tense and all that. Um, for instance, like how many of y'all have had a flight delayed at an airport? Anybody ever had that before? Or maybe you missed your connection or it was canceled. You get to, didn't get to make your trip. I've had a speaking engagement. I've had family situations. Airports are just my struggle. Like there's the fruit of the spirit and patience is one of them. I feel like that's my biggest struggle. I'm like, what is patience anyway? I don't even fully understand that. Evan, and, and especially when you have to like wait around for somebody else. So for instance, one time we we are trying to make our connection flight. We're going home for Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. So you got to get back. It's time for time to hang out with family and all that. So we get to the, the, the terminal or the, the tunnel that comes out from the building, connects the plane. And we're about 20 feet from it. I look out the window and I'm like, man, I see the tunnel. And I can kind of tell we're not quite at the door. Like, what are they doing? And so I look and there's about 40 minutes to my flight. I'm like, okay, we're doing okay. Even if we have like a 15 minute delay right here, we'll be all right. So like five minutes go by and I'm like getting a little antsy and I'm like, what's going on? Like, what are they doing? And I don't even know where I hear a well, there seems to be a problem. There's a truck parked in front of the gate. We're gonna to try to move the truck. Is this some kind of joke here? Move the truck, like what's going on here? And so I wait for a few more minutes and I'm like, okay, no big deal. About five minutes. Uh, we found the owner of the truck. We're, we're gonna get his keys and we're gonna move the truck. Okay, all right, this is good. We can do this, we can wait. And my kids are seeing me shake and they're like, dad, it's gonna be okay. They're like, no, it's not, all right? And then a couple more minutes go by, I'm not exaggerating. You can ask my wife, you can ask my kids, my son's upstairs in the student ministry, and you can ask him when he comes down, this story really happened. And they said, well, we found the owner of the truck and apparently he lost the keys. <laughs> no explanation, nothing else. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm like, come on, people. And then a few minutes go by, it's like 20 minutes of the flight. I'm getting scared because, you know, they closed the doors early and they said, since he lost the keys, we're going to call a tow truck. Thanks for your patience, people. And I'm like, what patience? <laughs> I'm about to start yelling bombs to look at me on the train. Bomb the plane. Bomb, 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 bomb. I'm so frustrated right now. I'm like, come on, people, get me out of here. And then out of nowhere, they're like, tow truck's on the way. We'll get you out of the plane here in a few minutes, guys. And everybody's just squirming around. And so finally they open the door and I'm like pushing poop through people. And I'm like, move it or lose it, sister. I mean, I'm ready to get to this plane. And then long story short, we get there and we don't even make the flight. It was an awesome day. It was fantastic. You know, sometimes a small inconvenient trials can be great lessons as well. Do you know how many times I've used that as an example of patience and how to be patient and just sometimes it's a, a trust God thing. Sometimes just be patient because God's got the circumstances for you. When, when I look at that, I laugh at it, but sometimes you gotta learn in the moment that you just need to be patient in the midst of your trials because maybe you might even laugh in the future when it's not that big of a deal. If I miss a family gathering, guess what? There's always next year. It's going to be okay. But going back to the story of Joseph, he went through pain, rejection, loneliness. He went through five acts of injustice and 13 years of obedience. I don't know if you heard that. 13 years of obedience in the midst of pain, suffering, imprisonment, accusation, abandonment, everything. 13 years. I went through it for about, I think it was about four months. I felt like it was 13 years. He went through it for 13 years. Then watch his response to his brothers that sold him into slavery. He said this, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Once again, God was a part of it. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Joseph realized it was more about obedience than a comfortable life. That's not easy to understand or hear. 
But sometimes we just want everything to be perfect and we wanna make more money and do this and drive the nicer car and get out of this situation. But sometimes it's just about obedience. And whatever God's calling you to do, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances with business and life, maybe you're just still in quarantine because you're sick or you've got higher, higher uh, uh, back, background things going on in your health. You can't make it. And it's frustrating. But sometimes we just gotta trust God in the midst of it because he's got something in the midst of your pain and you're waiting when we have to trust him. Lives were changed through his faithfulness and life can be changed through your faithfulness. Let me give you a perfect example. I have a friend that lives in Florida. He has about a 22, 23-year-old son. He was a young adult, just finished college, and he's a kickboxer. So he probably looked a lot like me, if you know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> but he was a kickboxer, and he said, hey, Dad, listen, I really believe God gave me this platform of kickboxing to share the name of Jesus. And so I don't really know what that looks like. You kick somebody in the face and say, Jesus loves you. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that plays out. But I think there is a good lesson in there. What's, what's your platform? What's your platform? And are you using it for the name of Christ? Like I stand on a platform right here and sometimes I make it about me. Am I gonna be funny enough? Is it gonna connect? When it doesn't really matter. Was Jesus made famous and people drawn closer to Jesus? Those are the only two questions I should be really worried about. But we get so distracted about our platform, but are you, and I'm saying this to myself as well, so don't hear me pointing the finger. Are you, are we using our platform that God's given us for Christ? It's a great lesson from a 22-year-old. So then plans changed. You ever had plans change? He got cancer at about 25 years old. Went to the hospital, spent an extended period of time in the hospital. And while he's in the hospital, he led 62 people to Christ. One man dying of cancer <laughs> who could have easily said, but why? I had such a bright future. I was in such great shape. This doesn't make any sense. Instead, listen to the words that he said. He said, Dad, I thought kickboxing was my platform for Christ, but now I understand cancer is my platform for Christ. Like, it's like, what? I mean, I, I can't say I'd be in the same situation, but all I can say in response to this is, your obedience and trials will lead others to Christ. It did with Joseph led them to their Lord, and with this young man that led 62 doctors, nurses, healthcare workers, cleaning crew, to Christ. So your trial may have taken place so that others can find Jesus. One last purpose in your trial is this, Romans 8, 28. Many of you all know this verse very well. It's an incredible verse. If you don't have like a life verse kind of thing, this is an amazing verse, and it's life-changing and encouraging at the same time. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that in all things, in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him. Let's go, let's go back to the beginning of that. We know that in all things, all things, in all things. I said this in the previous service, and I really feel like I still need to hear that. I need to hear in all things. Because sometimes I don't get it. Sometimes it just, excuse my language, but it just sucks. It's not fair. It's not right. But in all things, God works the good of those who love him and who have been called according to our purpose. It's for our good. It doesn't make sense. But trust his heart. Because out of all people, he knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. It's kind of like this. In Louisville, Kentucky, that's where I'm from, 
there was this place where a lot of interstates passed each other and went through each other over and under and everything, and it's called Spaghetti Junction. I never understood the, the title of Spaghetti Junction. I always drove through it, and I'm like, why is it called Spaghetti Junction? Going down 64 West, and I'm like, oh, I'm in Spaghetti Junction. I don't know what that means. 65 North, going up Spaghetti Junction. I don't really know what that means. And I'm driving through it, and then I'm flying home one day, going up for Christmas. I'm by myself. I'm looking out the thing, and I'm like, oh, there's Riverfront Park. I love that. There's Riverbat Stadium. That's really cool. There's the skyline. Oh, and there's Spaghetti Junction. And I went, oh. Let me show you a picture of what it looks like. I saw it and I was like, oh, that actually makes sense. It looks like somebody just dropped spaghetti on the ground. Like, oh. And then in that moment, in that second, it's almost like God told me, when you have the bird's eye view, you can understand what's really going on. Because I don't see what's, what's going on in the valley. I see 10 steps back, 10, te- 10 steps forward, 10,000 steps forward, 10 years forward, I see it all. But we're in the midst of it. We don't understand it. It doesn't really make any sense. But when you've got God's view, the bird's eye view, you see it all. So you may not understand what you're going through and you may not feel his hand, but you have to trust his heart because all things work together for the good of those that love him. All things work together for the good of those that love him. As we close out this message today, I wanna share one last story with you. It's pretty encouraging, at least it is to me. In ceramics, with pottery, there's a process to kind of bring it from point of a a block of clay all the way to a point of finished pottery. And guess what it's called? It's called trial. Fitting word, if you ask me. So the maker of the clay does several things. He takes the clay and he begins to form it, get out all the air bubbles and all that. And then he turns it in and puts it on the, the spinning wheel and starts to form it like you see on movies and everything. And I'll put a picture there for you to see. So the first step is to prepare the clay. Then they put it on the spinning wheel and they start slowly putting it to the point of perfection that the creator and the artist wants it to be, paying attention to every detail, forming it exactly how he wants. Then comes the real trying, trial, because they put it in something called a kiln, which is essentially fire. They put it in fire. It's a three-day process. The clay is placed in heat for up to 1,800 degrees. It's put through the fire. And then after that, it's taken out and it's put on a shelf. It's put on a shelf. It's resting. It's sitting. It's in the valley. And then after that, it's taken off the shelf and it's put back in the fire again. The heat goes up to 2,350 degrees at this point. It's put through the fire again. And then sometimes the potter, the creator, chooses to do an additional firing to achieve special results that are not possible with the first or second firing. And then they have the perfect, tested, tried, and proved product. You know, this fire that the potter puts the pot through, it's not some wild fire. It's not some dangerous fire in the wood. It's a maker's fire that is carefully contained by the maker. It's almost like God's got a fire specifically for us. And then when we get through the fire, it's almost like he pulls us out and puts us on the shelf. Wait here. Hang out with these other pots for just a moment. And we wait and we're like, but but I'm ready to go again. And then God says, okay, you're ready to go again. And he puts you back through the fire. He takes you out, puts you on the shelf. And then for his special, incredible, gifted works of God, he puts you through the fire again. He takes you out, puts you on the shelf, and then you're gifted and you're used and you're tried and you're proven and you're a creation that is made just by God. So maybe, maybe you're being tried right now. 
Maybe you're being tried right now. Maybe you're waiting for the next fire, but trust his heart. Maybe you don't feel his hands, but trust his heart. Don't miss what God has in the valley, but don't hang out there too long. Wait, don't camp out because God's got something. You'll be able to encourage others on the other side. I promise you that. Others will be saved. Others' lives will be changed because of your trial, because of your fire. And it hurts, it's not easy, but guess what? It's for your good. That makes sense, but it's for your good because God's trying you and he wants you to be ready for the life and the purpose that he has for you. Everybody bow your heads and open your hearts. Whether you're sitting in a prison right now or you're in your living room, you're at work on your phone taking a break. Listen up to what God's trying to say to you right now because you may sit there and you may, like I said, maybe in the middle of fire, you're in the waiting. God knows, he understands what's going on. He understands the abandonment that you feel. He felt every bit of that abandonment. I know some of you can't feel his hand, but trust his heart. He's using this situation to refine you, to strengthen you, to bring you to your purpose, to his purpose, and to save others' lives. So maybe you sit there and you're like, listen, Nate, I don't know this potter that you're talking about, and I don't know who's trying to craft me, but I've been through way more than three fires and I'm kind of done. Let me introduce you to this potter. His name's Jesus. He stepped out of heaven. He walked on this earth. He lived for you. He died for you. And he knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows everything about you. He knows where you were last night. He knows what you did in the middle of the night. He knows what you thought about before you walked into the service. He knows all those things. And guess what? He loves you just the same. In fact, he loves you so much that he died on the cross for you. And every one of us has done wrong by lying, cheating, stealing, killing. I don't know what it is, whether it's your thoughts, your actions or what, but when Jesus was on the cross, God put every sin of the world, your sin and mine, and he took our place because we deserve to be on the cross. He was our substitute. He was our sacrifice. He lived the life that we couldn't live, a perfect life, to die the death that you and I deserved. He defeated sin, he defeated death. And if you want to, this potter who is refining you and trying you and you want to surrender your life to him because he's worth it, then I want you to pray this prayer with me for the first, the only, and the last time. And it's not something that you do a hundred times, not something you do 10 times, something you do once. Just like many of you have started a relationship with you. When you start a relationship with, you, with Jesus, he never leaves you, he never forsakes you. But we don't let anybody pray alone here at Church Unlimited. So whether you're at Rockport or Padre, wherever you are in your living room, I want you to pray this prayer out loud with me because nobody prays alone here at Church Unlimited. If you want to surrender your life to Christ, pray this with me. Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my son. I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. I repent of my sins and I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I trust you as the potter of my life. Now, if you just prayed that prayer and surrendered your life to Christ for the first, the only, and the last time, not everybody's looking around right now. It's really between you and God is what it comes down to. It doesn't even matter if I'm looking. But just as a symbol of saying, hey, you know what? I prayed that prayer because if you meant it, you'll actually mean it. You'll actually mention it. If you made that decision and you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand? I see you all over the room, all over while we're here. Raise your hand in Rockport. I see you. Stono, keep your hand up. I just kind of want to see, you don't have to look at me, but I just want to see who's the whole family back there in the back over on the right here at Broadcast. There's some people at Stone Oak that are excited about what God's doing. Somebody in the living room, put in the chat, let us know what's going on. Keep your hand up. I want to see you over here on the left. Look at y'all. That's amazing. There's people all over the room. This is awesome. Life change is taking place right here. This is why we do what we do. God told pastor he's got a vision to win a million people to Christ. Guess what? You're some of those a million. 
You know, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when you're in Christ, the oldest past, the new has come. You're a new person. And so let me pray for you real quick and pray that God begins to work in you and continue to show his purpose in your trials. Let's pray. Father God, there's many people across all of our campuses, across all these days, that you've led to you, to yourself. Maybe it was a trial that brought them a point to, to bring them to their needs, to surrender their life to you. But Lord, I just ask in the name of Jesus Christ, help them to get it, help them to understand it, help them to take the next step so that they can walk with you. Help this not to be the beginning. Sorry, help this not to be the end, but help this to be the beginning of a newfound relationship with you. Because you've got more plans than this one decision. You've got plans for the rest of their life. Help them to find their purpose, not just their purpose in their trial, but their purpose in their life. In Jesus' name we pray.